0: It's imperative that I talk with you, Chris. Go away. Can't you see I'm busy writing the series 12 finale? You must pay attention.
1: Stop.
2: Now look, I don't know who you are or what you are, but we've got a series in transmission and our ratings are dropping. If we don't keep going, we won't get our viewers back.
1: They will not return. Why not? It is unimportant now.
2: But we must get them back.
1: There really is no point. They could never reach series 12 now. But don't you care? Care? No. Why should I care? Because they're people. And they might end up watching YouTube cat videos instead. I do not understand you. There are people watching cat videos all over your world, yet you do not care about them.
2: Yes, but we could stop these ones.
1: You will be wondering what has happened. Your schedulers must just have discovered a new series. Is that not so?
0: Yes, that's right.
1: That is where I come from. It is called Series 11.
2: Series 11? But isn't that one of the ancient names of Doctor Who?
1: Yes. Aeons ago, Series 11 and 12 were twins. Then we drifted away from you on a journey to the edge of space. Now we have returned. But who... what are you? I am called Cyberchips.
2: Cyberchips?
1: Yes, I was exactly like you once, but as the time to deliver scripts grew longer, scientists and doctors devised spare parts for my body until it could be... Almost completely replaced.
0: But that means you're
1: not like us. You're a robot. My writing is just like yours, except that certain weaknesses have been removed.
2: Weaknesses? What weaknesses?
1: You call them stories, do you not? But that's terrible. No character would ever develop. There would be no need. Most of the minor characters don't do anything anyway. Hello once again, listeners, and welcome to Something Who, episode 16, which is in our classic format, comparing the finale of series 12, The Timeless Children, and First Doctor Swan Song, The Tenth Planet, if we can still call Hartnell the first after Sunday's episode. This week we surged to a remarkable number 12 in the Apple Podcast UK TV review chart, so thanks to those of you who helped us to rise to such heights. And as ever, if you like what we do, please let others know so they can find us too. Tonight, I'm joined once more by Giles. Evening, Richard. Hello. And Simon. Hello, Richard. Hello, listeners. So first up, we're going to talk about The Timeless Children by Chris Chibnall, in which the master, the Cybermen, the Doctor, her companions and the last humans all end up in the ruins of Gallifrey, while the Matrix tells the Doctor what's really been going on all the time. So I watched Ascension of the Cybermen and this one back-to-back as a two-hour movie. Ooh. And I thought, uh, yeah, it's very visual and action-packed. And I guess the only question that I had is, what's it actually about? I mean, in the sense of, does it have a real theme to it, or is it is it a lot of set pieces and a lot of mythology that slowly unpacks anyway we we can maybe come to that as we go along so maybe your initial thoughts on it
2: I th- well I thought what's not to like about the timeless children Richard I always tell the listeners about my 10 minute rule that episode has to grab my attention within the first 10 minutes and yeah this one took off seamlessly from Where the last episode left off, I envy you, Richard. Actually, watching it as a two-hour whole because it it needed to be watched watched together. We got to find out some more about the Doctor's past and the back history. I've I've no quibbles with that at all. Um, That opens up all sorts of new storylines, and I have no problem with people being inventive with that sort of thing. I don't I don't think it, it. changes or ruins the history. I think Chris Chibnall's done a good job and he's complimented the history there. We had some fascinating story arcs all the way through this series which I think were nicely tied up. Mm-hmm. This was a fantastic action-packed story. We had another brilliant appearance by the Master and um, he really came up with a grand scheme to destroy the Doctor and take over the universe. So fantastic series finale we had plenty of action, blasting Cybermen and some battles and the Cybermen chasing people down, that was all very good. Ryan got stuck in, which was which was good to see. The special effects were dazzling. I complained about some of the clunkiness and some of the it's a bit cheap, I thought, some of the previous episode. Until it really got going. But the special mm. effects in this one were top notch. And I thought it I thought it was I thought it was excellent.
1: Good? Excellent. Giles? Um yeah, I'm
0: still trying to process it. Um I've not had a chance to rewatch it, uh, unfortunately, which I kind of feel like maybe I need to. At the time I found it pretty satisfying, I think. Yes, I know I I think part of it's there's a certain sort of relief that what they did with the canon stuff was all very well handled, to my yeah, you know, in my opinion. The actual plot quite where the yeah, you know, quite quite how the plot and and characterisation hang together I think I might need to take another look I didn't find the um, as regular regular viewers may know I was complaining about the um, lack of characterisation of the guest cast last week Mm. I didn't find that so grating this time whether that was just because they didn't have so much to um, they didn't actually have all that many character moments they just mostly had to run around in a bit of a fight for survival so that was probably good such a turning up as the master, obviously elevated things a lot anyway. So he's he's always good quality. So yes, a thumbs up in general for me. But I just yeah, I'm not quite sure how much the plot, how much of the plot is actually going to hang together on further viewings.
1: Yeah, uh, so so that's an interesting question. I mean, I I think when I first watched it, there are a number of things that kind of niggled slightly in the plot but uh, I mean as I've thought about it over the couple of days since then I think most of those things have kind of sorted themselves out in my head I, I, I don't think in the end that that, that there are any sort of a, egregious rough edges that, that are worrying me right now mm-hmm. so, so I suppose the other thing about for me was that I like the ambition of the story I mean one of the things that we complained about last year was a bunch of very kind of <laughs> cardboardy stories that you know with no flavor no texture you know a bit tedious and this was a really strong attempt a strong attempt across the whole season really to to tell a story from from start to finish of an epic scale and yes with 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 moments along the way to pause and do something else but you know it felt perhaps uh, in the same uh, caliber as the key to time from from the original series or you know one of the better um r t d or or moffat series when 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 you know kind of all the bits of their arc kind of came together so i mm. uh, um you know from that from that part of it i thought that was a, a much improved effort this time round
2: mm. i thought um ko, ko Sharmas he came across as a credible resistance leader and he, I liked the way he popped up near the end to, to save the day and save the doctor and the story. I thought that was <laughs> that was really good.
0: And say and did save the plot? <laughs> Thank you, yes. He's, with his di- with his dying words, he filled he filled the biggest remaining plot hole in the um, <laughs> in the um, in the story, didn't he? I think fortunately.
2: I liked as well how it it teed up the next the next series and the next special as well. That was a nice sort of cliffhanger and that. That wetted appetite to see more, so mm-hmm. I th- I think I Jodie, like, Jodie. Yes,
0: w- I, did, I did like that. I th- I think Jodie
2: Whittaker's done a fantastic job overall as the Doctor. She's really taken the lead role. She doesn't just fit in with the crowd. She travels around. With. She's definitely the le- the leader of the pack. And with I, I know it hasn't gone down with well with everybody in fandom, but I think I I really think this backstory has been done really well as. No explaining how regenerations work and the history of the Time Lords. I thought that was all fascinating as well. So I, th- I, th- I um, big round of applause to Chris Chibnall. I think he's had a lot of criticism, but mm-hmm. he's managed to, he's managed to have a narrative arc all the way through the series. Um, we've had far more thrills in this series, and the finale ended um, literally with it, with a huge bang as well. So. I th- I feel I feel <laughs> satisfied. I wasn't sure where it was going to go after we reviewed last week's episode, but um, I feel satisfied. I, th- I think that was a really good finale. Hmm.
1: Hmm. So, I mean, one interesting and, and bold piece of storytelling, I guess, is that the island scenes from last time, which were kind of incomprehensible at the time, now turn out to be a parable for what actually happened to the Doctor. And so mm. if you sort of follow the the, the the scenes in the in the life of Brendan through um and then with the sort of voiceover from the Matrix, you can sort of see parallels in both stories and it's you know, it's not unlike maybe a passage from the Bible in that regard. I mean, you know, and that's that's an interesting and, and bold piece of storytelling. I mean I'm not quite sure why that would work better than just showing us in in a sort of drama way the the, the story of you know the doctors being found in the early part of her life, you know, rather than that being very voiced over and, and in clips. And we're seeing an awful lot of of Brendan, who turns out just to be the analogue. But you know, I, I mean, I guess it's it, it's at least an interesting way of doing it.
2: We were joking around about Netflix earlier. Um, I, as I was sitting watching all that division backstory, I thought that this is screaming of spin-offs.
1: Mm. Mm.
0: I was just going to say, with regard to the whole... I mean, there, were, there were lines that implied when the Master is talking Jodie through everything, talking the Doctor through everything, there were lines that implied that she this is a vision that she has been having or been plagued by. Right, OK. I believe, weren't there? She refers to having seen things in Ireland, or, although strangely the subtitles kept on saying Ireland, rather than yeah. I <laughs> I S L A N D rather than I, Ireland. But there was an implication. I thought that that the doctor is actually having these visions, right? Which didn't appear to be there in the, well, and certainly yes, and definitely because the and the master even refers to, I think, queries whether or not it's something that was left by Tecteun mm. as a as something to as a clue to what happened in her past. Mm. So, so yes, I mean that was certainly something we didn't get the impression last week that this was you know, this just seemed to be a completely strange parallel story rather than something that was that the doctor was having having been troubled by flashes of this mm. weird story. And I don't know whether if you were re watching Ascension this week, Richard, whether or not you felt whether you noticed any hints of that, but
1: No, I d I didn't. I mean of course because I watched them in order, I didn't get to see Ascension after having had that kind of revelation in right, the second okay. one. Yes, yeah. but nonetheless, it still just appeared to be a perfectly mm. bog-standard story, you know, that was interleaved between the other parts. Mm. Again, I may have missed yeah some some things that were in there.
0: Mm. But it's it's interesting. I mean, I th- I think yeah, the, the funny thing is that. Yeah, rather marvelously they've you know they picked up. This this is basically, and I I didn't find it although I was kind of nodding along to nodding along to the developments, but you know in the way that fans do, having botched together pieces of lore Mm. and and um, and so on and 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 joined the dots of what's been told to us in the past by multiple writers. You know a lot of it was very pleasingly consistent with what we've. Already figured out. I mean, we always knew that the, we always knew that the time lords were a class apart from, and that you know, as yeah. we, there was an assumption that not everyone on Gallifrey, was a time lord, and that the yeah that you know, the, the, the that we saw in Invasion of Time were not, didn't have regeneration ability or anything like that, mm-hmm. and the people that dwelled outside the capital. So there's been a long-standing assumption that regeneration was something that got invented at some at some point and I guess most people have put it down to put it down to Vaseline or Omega as being part of that uh, that kind of thing hmm. so that kind of all, all made sense and then you know the, there's the, the Carmel Master Plan stuff which yeah. I mean I know is you know was an, an abortive attempt at doing some of this stuff but the yeah, the hints were still there back in season 25 26 about you know about these things and it's ra- it's rather wonderful that Chibnall has come up with what he's done has actually retroactively validated a lot of that stuff that had been kind of swept under the carpet. I mean, mm. who knows? It might even um might even end up validating McGann's whole human co- comments <laughs> and so at some point in the future. But you know, depending on where they go with it. Although whether or, you know how you justify him suddenly becoming aware of that in that particular regeneration. Mm. <laughs> but yes. I think it was very, you know, very well handled.
1: Yeah, I mean, my my only, I mean, I'm so so I, so I quite like the you know the thought that's gone into the retcon. Uh, um, my only quibble with it really is that on face value, it appears to be throwing away Gallifrey, the Time Lords, the Master, and the Cybermen, in order to give us the conclusion. Now, I mean, hmm. it may well be that the Master had a handy kind of you know escape chamber. Before the button was finally pressed, and and took some Cybermen with him, but it, you know, it 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 seems like Gallifrey actually being destroyed is still quite a high cost to to sort of sort out that particular gap in the law. But anyway, I mean, that's mm. that's that's christian storytelling choice, and there may there may still be a, a reason for that, and 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 uh, something who fans will remember that we. Spent a minute or two going through the the <laughs> number of times that Gallifrey's been been there and back mm. a few episodes ago, so we wouldn't surprise us greatly if it if it returned at some point.
0: Yes, who knows? Although well, that seemed to be a fairly final finalish ending. Mm. The only thing that I was, you know, there, there were so many nice little touches of lore that I I hope. I know I find it. It's very hard to judge from from the inside as a fan about quite how much of that how well that was explained for the benefit of the the mythical casual viewer in, ter- in terms of, you know, someone who's absolutely not steeped with steeped in everything. It felt like it was all pretty well spelt out as we went along, but there were lots of nice little touches of references to stuff all the way along, Deadly Assassin and so on. The only the only thing I didn't, <laughs> I kind of expected, although I, since they had set up the Death Particle, yeah, you know, I, I suddenly thought, oh yes, sorry, that, yeah. Yeah. Check off death of particles. Yeah, check off death particle yeah, of death has been um, have been set up already, so so I thought, Oh yeah, of course they've got to use that because I was fully expecting that um that the solution was gonna be the Eye of Harmony. It was that right. they were gonna run you know, I, I I suddenly thought that's how you that's how you destroy Gallifrey and all the cyber lords or whatever they were, cyber masters, incipient time cybermen would be to, to unbottle the Eye of Harmony and and have a have a giant black, you know have a black hole reassert itself and swallow up Gallifrey, which would have been a um more of a law in ter- you know um, yeah. sort of a, you know it would have had a nice rhythm to it in terms of you know what we know about how how Time Lord society was founded so much as we know anything about you know the beginnings of it. All.
1: You think that would have been more elegant than inventing an imaginary destructive device from nowhere and then telling you all about it at the start of the story and then deploying it right at the end? Well, yeah.
0: you know, I think um. I suppose the, the problem is that from an internal point of view, you know, from, a, from a purely script writing point of view, I guess the, the same problem would have happened that you'd have been, yeah, you know, you'd have had to explain that, and the the Eye of Harmony, although it would have made sense to long term fans, would still, from the point of view of the general viewership, have been yeah, you know, been a, a MacGuffin being invented in true being invented in the third act in order to resolve the plot. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Whereas at least with the, you know, I suppose you could have solved it. Solved it with a with an earlier flashback or something like that, so you seeded the idea that it was there. But swings and roundabouts
1: yeah. So so Simon, how how do you feel uh, it's dealt with your sort of forty odd years as a Doctor Who fan? Do you, do you sort of feel um, satisfied with with uh, with a recon like that?
2: Yes, it it explained regeneration, and I, I got really caught up in this series. I've got to say, and the story arc, and I was happy with the way it explained. Um, Dr. Roof turning up I, I don't know if it I don't know if it struck you both yeah. of you in the same way but we had the Master taunting the Doctor and saying oh you're not going to like what you find out it's going to be awful and it's it's going to blow your mind but I sat there thinking well he's actually mm. doing her a big favour, he, he's he's explaining explaining <laughs> how you got here and, and you know yeah. the rationale for so many different things I thought the Master was actually doing her a big favour in the end that, that felt a bit strange,
0: hm mm. yes, yeah, you know, it didn't undermine I know you know, as as they spelled out in the dialogue, it did not undermine who the doctor fundamentally is mm. Mm. it just gave a bunch of new questions to to ask, but I think that was that thank goodness was the you know was what you know what they got right about it but I guess a lot of people you know went into it with some trepidation about whenever whenever you know that big changes are a foot in in these things, uh, yeah, we always, you know, we don't want don't want anything. And I think it, it very elegantly maintained the um, status of what went before, mm. so it's all yeah, it's all valid and and it stands on its own on its own ground. It doesn't feel like it's been undermined by by the new revelations. Mm. It just adds a you know hopefully a, a greater depth to it. and That's the trick.
2: Mm. What I anticipated was we we had the. The do, you know, Doctor Reef turning up the the Doctor and learning about the division, and I thought, well, is this going to point towards the Time Lords actually not being a force for good? And this, the Doctor, as I remember, the division's gone around mm. being allowed to intervene in affairs of other other species and other periods of time, and they've actually done lots of terrible things. I thought that was what the Master was going to reveal. You know, you've had a hand in all you know destroying mm. galaxies and. Um, helping the Dal mm. I don't know helping the Daleks, doing something awful like that that's what I thought the big reveal was going to be and that it's actually mm. your fault that Gallifrey's destroyed, but that, that never happened mm.
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean perhaps we'll find out more as time goes on, I mean I, I did think that on this occasion Joan Martin was a little bit shortchanged with her cameo, I hope that we get to see her again at some point next year Yeah mm. um, or whenever the, the 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 show comes back because um from from the from the the, the little bit that we got in um in, you know in, in her story and then that 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 would be nice to see a bit more of of her um, character
0: mm. yeah a couple of minor points to this in the division flash was that cat was that, or in the the woman who appeared to be running the division or recruiting,
1: recruiting i think it's possible yes
0: right but not in the same it wasn't the same actress I think, well or was I mean it? to be to be honest it doesn't, it doesn't have to be <laughs>
1: um, I wasn't watching that closely no
0: that's what I was just wondering maybe this is this is one of these things where Wikipedia or Google would have the answer. so maybe yeah. I need to uh, maybe uh, maybe I'll do some brief research while we are uh, chatting mm. away the other thing I particularly loved is um, when the Doctor gave them the full force as it were of, of her doctorishness in order to break out of the Matrix hmm did everyone spot amongst all the flashbacks that we had the Morbius doctors? Yes. <laughs> another lovely little um yeah nod. Yeah, another little box ticking exercise in terms of n- niggling continuity.
1: So Robert Holmes is the Doctor. Mm. That's yep. that 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 ought to be on the, the front cover of DWM at some point. Like the Beatles, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good point. Andy Warhol. Mm. Yeah. Hmm.
2: Did anyone else think? Um, I, was, I was talking about the great special effects and the, the high production values, but the actual, uh, I'm not sure what to call them, the, the cyber lords or the, the cyber masters, I actually thought with their mm. with their robes and their headgear and everything, they reminded me of something out of Dead Ringers and the John Colshaw sketches. I don't know if any of you caught the, <laughs> the Tom Baker <laughs> sketches, those fantastic <laughs> sketches where he was sort of with the cyber family. Mm. Mm. They look like they're all dressed up to go out somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so that undermined that undermined
0: that undermined yes, their threat a bit a of, bit, were... But I otherwise. No, that was that was very enjoyable. Hmm. Yeah, a wee bit cheesy, but
1: yeah. No worse I guess than those um, golden angels in um, Voyage of the Damned or something like that. But yes, hmm. it was it was a little bit camp. Yeah. So yeah, I mean the the only. Sort of slight hole that in in the plot that I haven't satisfactorily re- re- resolved is that uh, at the start of the episode the Cybermen burst in and they're, they're chasing after the um, the four people in in that huge great carrier and one of them you know gets bites the dust quite quickly and oh, the yeah. other sort of nipped down a side passage but it's not evident that it's that it isn't somewhere that Cybermen couldn't follow. And there's a fair few of the Cybermen, but for some reason they just seem con- content to let them go off, have a bit of a natter, nick some cyber suits, and then, you know, join the scouting party. Uh, you know, and so they've gone from having this relentless pursuit across Galaxy mm. and they, they, they have a scanner that says, ah oh, yes, there's three of them <laughs> and they're over there, and then suddenly they can't really bother to find them when they're on mm. their own ship. So, I don't know, it... it, it know, clearly you've got to find a way for them to escape to make the story work later on. It just just seemed a little bit um, easy that particular escape.
2: I like them hiding inside the the shell of a cyber, and that that had echoes. All the all the episodes we've seen people hiding inside Dalek yeah. casings and things like mm. that. I thought that was nice. Yeah,
0: it was effectively done. Nice, nicely done bit. I think that.
1: So you've you've got this this sort of warring thing going on, at least until in the early part of the episode between. The lone Cyberman, the Siberian that's in him, and the rest of the Cybermen, mm. and it, it feels like the Master's able to appeal to the sort of not quite Cyber thing within the lone Cyberman to, to sort of join him as part of his scheme. Because it doesn't see the scheme doesn't feel like it would. It's a natural fit for the for the for the Cyberman to join the Master, and and get regeneration. Hmm. I mean, you know, maybe they might go for it. Maybe they 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 might not. But but given that they have all the aces, and he's just a, a single person, he didn't. You know, I mean, he's got the zapper thing, but I don't know how powerful that is. They they sort of give up quite a lot of their advantage to sort of go alongside him. But but maybe that's because. The, it's the influence of the of the Lone Cyberman, I, I, and 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 as for the Siberian, it's not that's it's kind of less clear what its goal is to me. But maybe you've you've you found something, one of you uh, that explains that a bit better.
0: I thought the the Lone Cyberman was a bit a bit harshly treated in the final. You know, and I I think the, the whole Ascension of the Cyberman thing made made sense as a as a title in retrospect, but I kind of thought the yeah, his, his falling victim to the Master's tissue compression eliminator was a bit of a throwaway gag, a mm. bit of a shame, shame for an end to the character. I would have liked to have found out a bit more about his motivation and quite why he was so... And I guess one could read, read enough into the fact he's sort of half-complete and seems to wear that as a badge of honour, mm. as it were. wasn't quite as fleshed out as I had hoped he would be, but then I, I guess we've possibly got... Plus we got bamboozled into expecting that we were going to see see his origin story, mm. then, but whereas we probably found out just enough, just about enough in um in the Villa Diodati mm. episode anyway. Maybe there wasn't any more to it than that.
2: Sure. Yeah, that was a bit of a bit of a premature end. I I I thought the destruction of the Cyber Carrier and the and the Gallifrey Citadel that was that was one of Doctor Who's greatest ever explosions. That was that was very good as well <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah. all, all my all my all yeah. my moaning about some of the the, the budget stuff in um, Ascension the side and they mm. more than made for that in the final episode so uh, I was really really pleased mm. they put in yeah. they pulled out all the stops for that that sort of final final 50 minutes or so and uh, mm. some great moments in it yeah, it was yeah. it was very good I think
0: mm. and we got some lovely TARDISes lovely TARDIS yeah. action as well Yeah. They're looking gorgeous. Yes,
1: they they all looked sadly rather nicer than the Doctor's own. It was. Mm, yes, yeah. <laughs> but she didn't last in that very long, so that was okay. Mm. <laughs> yeah.
0: Right. And I, I did like the um return to the crashing into the um cliffhanger into the into the next episode thing, and we I think we even had a what 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 didn't we? Yes. It spread, yes, spread, yes, it spread was. Out over, spread out over about three different incidents, but it was there. That was quite a nice little mm. nod and uh, completely unexpected because obviously I guess we knew that we knew they were probably going to, they were going to be darlings at Christmas so we didn't expect was for the Jadoon to suddenly turn up and mm. arrest her.
1: Mm. The switcheroo between the Doctor and Koshamas at the end sort of reminded me a bit of, of um, them getting Mr Prosser to lie down in the mud in front of the... <laughs> uh, uh, the, the bulldozers i mean it, it required a certain suspension of disbelief that everyone's mm. prepared to just stand around waiting whilst the doctor hands over the stuff to coach and mm. goes running off in the other direction and say okay right imagine we were back where we are next yes. standoff but you know i mean i guess if if, if you're prepared to accept that then then it kind of works okay mm. it turns out he, he wasn't um irish in the end either either you know you, you say kashamus mm. i say kashamus but let's call yes. the whole thing off yeah any any, anything else you want to say about um about last week's episode before we move on
0: that is going to be one weird house share with <laughs>
1: yes <laughs> Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, it sort of explains the housing shortage, doesn't it? If all these semi-detached houses are really tardises. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, you could you could make an awful lot of money, couldn't you, uh, 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 renting out a room at a time? But it is all through the one door. Mind you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: are we Are we doing like in conclusion now, or are we?
1: Uh, so, if you want to talk, a sort of in conclusion about yes, about the story or the or the series or whatever, before we move on to Tenth Planet, yeah. And then yeah, sure.
0: Yeah, I think it points to some interesting directions in which they can they can go, but hopefully with a light touch. Well, we wait, we wait and see, and in, in some ways, it's it's the repeat of well, we we will wait and see whether or not because you know the fiftieth anniversary appeared to set up a whole load of stuff. Back mm. then, that was going to be like this could run and run for years, yeah. And as a as an underlying theme, and you know have some nice tantalising hints dropped and so on. And instead, it was kind of promptly forgotten about for a year and a half, and then resolved. Yes, without any without <laughs> without any particular effort on on the part of Capaldi's doctors, or mm. yeah, you know, go on some massive quest for Gallifrey. He kind of stumbled across it in the end after having a couple of hissy-fits about not being able to find it. Yes. Yeah, um, so,
1: well, yeah, I mean, it was it was the Odyssey without the journey, mm. wasn't it? I mean, I mean, it, it, it took him three billion years to chisel through the diamond, but he didn't have to go very mm. far.
0: Yeah, so I think hopefully this will be handled with a slightly lighter touch that, OK, it's set up a new underlying mystery, but the Doctor is still the Doctor in terms of the character that we know and love. And hopefully we can uh, get on with having... Having some good adventures without feeling that like we have to derail absolutely everything else about the show in pursuit of this plot, mm. uh, in pursuit of the the kind of who is the doctor mystery going forward, mm. although it's yeah it presents some interesting possibilities there I guess.
2: Simon. Yep, nicely summed up there by by Giles. I don't derailed too much. I think it's whetted my appetite to find out more about what went on under the auspices of the of the division. And Doctor Reef is still a bit of a mystery as well, mm. so my my mm. appetite's well and truly wetted for the next series and and more reveals I think. Mm.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and it just doesn't appear that the, that the special's going to be particularly to do with that. So that's. So I think we get another kind of standalone, and then maybe they'll, they'll explore mm. it in uh, series thirteen when it arrives. Mm.
0: Yeah. Well, interesting. Yeah, seems to be a couple of little. Interesting snippets coming out about series thirteen mm-hmm. at time of recording as it were, don't they? That's um yeah, well Simon, you were filling us in on that, weren't you? That casting changes.
2: Yeah, the the casting changes are all over the the press today, so I don't don't think they're mm. the major spoilers. But Bradley Walsh mm. has announced that he's leaving after the, the Christmas special because the scheduling is is pretty full on. He's in his 60th year and he's he's finding it hard, so he's he's mm. saying goodbye. And Tozin Cole Ryan has got a, a part in a big American TV show, so he can ditch the mm. Sheffield accent for good. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> Let's see whether he whether he's acting is any better with an American yeah. accent. Yeah,
2: and hopefully for him, because I'm, I'm sure he's a nice guy away from.
0: Oh, absolutely! Away from the show the and
2: everything, and he comes across as a nice guy as well in Doctor Who. To mm. be to be fair mm. to him, I hope he goes yeah. on to greater and better things and um, goes on to have a great career. So that's that's good news for him mm. as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, and Mandeep appears to be staying. I presume. Yeah, yeah. Therefore,
1: Yeah, So, so thankfully, is... they've yeah they've, they've held on to the one with the most character development. <laughs> <laughs> uh, s- <laughs> s- s- still to do. <laughs>
0: well, right, yes, exactly. Yeah, I was going to say it's a it's a double edged sword because, to be honest, you know Ryan Ryan's car- character had suffered under the burden of having to have a lot of sort of character development hmm. and you know too many things thrown at him, as we've discussed in the past. Yeah. And it feels like Graham's Graham's journey. We you know we know what Graham's particular bugbears were and so on. So hmm. it feels like okay, it's it's going to be a shame to lose Bradley he's you know, he's been terrific fun. Mm. But it feels that hopefully I think there's there's still more storytelling they can tell with Mandeep with you know with Yaz that will be actually focused on mm. her character and her specific hang ups. Whereas as as we said when we went back to um Can You Hear Me, you know, for that one, they, they wisely instead of giving Ryan further further demons to fight, you know, they may, they mainly made it about his mate. Mm. Instead, um, yeah. So I think there's still there's still more that can be done with Yaz, and hopefully they will just uh, pair her up with one other male companion, I guess. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe Barrowman will come back. There's a thought.
1: Well, indeed, that <laughs> is a that, that a is a thought. thought.
0: That will be an interesting Tardis crew. <laughs> yes.
2: With his <laughs> reputation, with two and- ladies in the Tardis. <laughs>
1: Well, it would be fantastic, actually, to have a, mm. an entirely entirely Yorkshire crew. I think it would, it would be uh, without precedent in Doctor Who. Mm. But um, yes. I, I'm sure they can't allow that to happen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, and as I understand it, also, there's, there's talk that Maxine Alderton is going to be joining the team as mm. what's been discussed as being a core writer, whatever that means, for the next series, which is um, after our all-round reception for Villa Diodati. Can only be a good thing, Mm. I think. But I wonder whether that would involve her shouldering some of the burden from Chris Chibnall, or whether that's going to be in more of a rewriting other people's scripts, putting putting a final gloss on things.
1: If she could have rewritten the dialogue in this one, Mm. I think that would have elevated it. I mean,
0: oh, absolutely, yes. Because
1: because there was quite a lot of, of of quite dull and clunky. Stuff Mm. which you you know, where compared with the with the kind of light dialogue in Villa Diodati. So yeah, I mean, I Mm. I, I think that uh, yeah, I'd I'd, I'd be very happy to see more of her work in the series. Mm.
0: Yeah, I was having this discussion briefly with a friend of mine at the weekend about the sort of the issue with the dialogue, and I was trying to work pinpoint quite why it doesn't work for me and for other people. It doesn't seem to you know work for other people as well, and. The thing that occurred to me, because we were talking about the fact that okay, Chibnall has his reputation for having written Broadchurch and that wasn't a shabby piece of work by all accounts. You know, it occurred to me that maybe the problem is because Chibnall writes what is essentially naturalistic dialogue mm. most of the time. And yet Doctor Who doesn't get naturalistic performances or it doesn't no. ask for naturalistic performances. And actors who will turn up who will do a completely different thing in a straight drama than what they will do in Doctor Who, and I'm not I'm not talking about Paul Darrow I'm not talking about that mm. that kind of when someone goes completely over the top. But I'm I'm just wondering whether that's the thing, whether that's the issue that because people are in sci-fi and and as much the actors as us as viewers, we're we're attuned to expect a certain level of performance and a certain elevated thing mm. when we're watching Doctor Who or Arguably any sci-fi, but um, or fantasy program, mm-hmm. and I, I wonder whether it's the mismatch between Chibnall writing what is quite naturalistic dialogue. Mm-hmm. It seems to me, which, and whether it whether it therefore comes over as flat because it's being performed by actors who are still pitching the acting slightly higher on the camp scale. <laughs> if that makes any If that makes any kind of sense.
1: Well, I, th- I think you're right in saying that naturalistic dialogue isn't going to work in a in a the sort of heightened situations that Doctor Who exists in because you you know you can't be natural in an unnatural situation. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why the kind of Moffat-esque, altertonian, if one can you say, you know, the, the 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 quippy lines and and whatever. I mean, it's not it's not realistic to how people actually speak. Mm. But but it, it brings the situation to life and it allows the exposition to happen in, in a funny or interesting or startling way rather than in a kind of bunch mm. of slightly lumpen exchanges. Mm. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think that, for me, that didn't hit us hard in the last couple of stories because there's kind of, you know, there's lots of visually interesting stuff going on. So, mm. so you know, you can sort of live with the fact that, that, that the dialogue's less exciting you know, whereas when you get something you know, like one of the ones last year, when the and and you know the story's not doing anything much for you either, then it all mm. kind of falls in a bit, a bit flat.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: But Simon, I don't think it bothered you quite as much.
2: No, not not a not at all. I I was seriously worried about the future of the show after the last series, the lack of thrills in particular, but we've had plenty of roller coaster rides i think the dialogue you you're right the dialogue's been better from my perspective it's been better anyway and mm-hmm. he's i think he's he's pulled off carrying a story arc all the way through right to the very end of this last mm. story mm. at the end of the series so uh i doff my cap to chippers i think
0: mm. yeah now what we've got to do is, is um sort out the scheduling and the marketing and promotion really yeah get bums on seats to to actually say you know to actually realize this is this is worth watching at the moment
1: well if, if you've got something worth selling it's kind of easier mm. to sell i mean yes. I, I guess the, yeah. i guess the problem we've, we've got is that there was the appetite last season but mm. the product was wrong and then mm. you've got the product right but the appetite's low well mm. if you can sort of get the right product and the right appetite together then um, you know, it, it could be much improved, but yes, I, mm. I, 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 I think um, they may struggle to to reach the the highs of the of early Whitaker simply because you know if you were encouraged to watch something and it wasn't quite as good as you were hoping, it's hard to, to come back a second time unless um, mm. what you're going to be showing them is is, is extraordinary. So, you yeah. know, particularly Villa Diodati, but but those last two were, were, were quite visually exciting. Let's hope that mm. that and a good special next yeah christmas or new year means that um, there's more appetite when it comes back finally
0: mm. and i think we need a possibly possibly one solution would be to get a casting kill on the level of Catherine tate mm. for the new for the new companion
1: yeah um, yeah true
0: get some someone who'll bring their own audience with them to to watch it or at least give it a try and then be impressed
2: if I'm if I'm honest as well, from a personal perspective, this is slightly out of scope for this podcast. But my my attention from twenty thirteen onwards was expecting all these hordes of missing episodes to return every week, hmm. and then I got caught up hmm. watching each new episode, you know, looking for a clue that the faceless ones had been recovered or something. And I wasn't watching <laughs> it and enjoying it properly for what it was. So. You know, I've got mm. my attention mm. locked again on this as a as a programme I as I love, and um, I'm very pleased to say this last series has been it's been it's been good, big improvement mm-hmm. on recent series mm. and recent years, and um, I'm enjoying mm. watching Jodie Whittaker as well. I, I think she's really made the role mm. her own in this series. Mm. Um, she came in for quite a lot of criticism, some of it unfair, but I think. That was down mm. to the writing. She didn't really stand out a crowd as the, as the lead character, but this series, she's really stamped mm. her mark on the role. She's had a lot of terrific mm. speeches. She's delivered impeccably. And I think she's come across as a really strong mm. doctor as well. So uh, I think all bodes yeah. well. Mm.
0: Yeah, that moment up by the trig point with the master was um, absolutely fantastic. It was a real highlight.
1: Yeah. OK, I think we, if we're ever going to talk about it, we'd better move on to the 10th planet. <laughs> Not more bloody Cybermen. <laughs>
2: now, you must let us try and get in touch with our audience.
1: I told you, it is impossible for them to get back now. The pull of Netflix is too strong. But you must let us try. Please. It is a foregone conclusion. You are wasting time. However, if you wish to contact them, I have no objection.
0: Look at the viewing figures now. It's accelerating. Can't we do anything to stop them? They're beyond escape velocity now. They can't possibly (coughs) re-enter. I'm afraid the overnight's just dropped below four million.
1: Now perhaps you can see that your series is in great and imminent danger.
0: What about
2: those poor viewers?
1: Perhaps you will cooperate. Netflix drew them away. It was unavoidable. What's happening? The energy of series 11 is nearly exhausted. And now we turn to its twin and we'll gather energy from series 12. Gather energy? But for how long? Until it is all gone.
2: But that means that series 12 will die.
1: Yes, everything on series 12 will stop.
2: But you can't calmly stand there and tell me I'm going to stop writing. You are
1: not going to stop writing.
2: How are we going to survive? There's no scientific certainty that this is a dying series. I prefer to take my chances here.
1: You must come and write with us.
2: But we cannot write with you. You're you're different.
0: You've got no storytelling.
1: Storytelling? I do not understand that word.
0: Storytelling, plot, theme, character development,
1: arc. Have you no storytelling, sir? Come to series 11 and you will have no need of storytelling. You will become like us. Like you? We have initial public goodwill, high ratings and a good press. Do you prefer to die in misery?
0: But look, surely it's possible for us not to lose our viewers week after week.
1: It is inevitable.
2: Then you really don't mind if my series dies?
1: Why should I mind?
2: Because millions and millions of people will be forced to watch Dancing on
0: Ice. They're going to suffer horribly.
1: I shall not be affected.
0: Don't you think of anything except yourself?
1: I am equipped to survive. I am only interested in survival. Anything else is of no importance. Your series' death will not affect me
2: but I can't make you understand. You're condemning Doctor Who to die. Have you no heart?
1: No. That is one of the weaknesses that I have removed. <laughs> well, the other story that we chose is a tenth planet by Jerry Davis and Kit Pedler. In which a mysterious planet appears in the solar system, bringing strange visitors to the earth and disrupting its space program there are there are, I guess more common themes to what we've just been talking about than the Cybermen, but you know certainly one of the of the key reasons for discussing this one is is it's the debut story for the Cybermen and and perhaps you know that, that that's that's a point of comparison. Who wants to have to to kick off with some thought about uh, the tenth planet?
2: Looking back at this, I was thinking, "Oh boy, this is going to look dated," having just watched *Ascension of the sideman But not at all. It had a nice contemporary feel. Much of the Hartnells—it was it—it it was sort of intermittent historicals followed by you know a fantasy adventure far away in space and time. But although the tenth planet's set in. 1986, which was in the far-flung era of 20 years on from when <laughs> the episode was actually filmed, I didn't think this felt too dated. Sitting there watching it with the with the snow cap base and everything, I thought it's thoroughly gripping. And and um, even without the Cybermen, the whole story of the capsule getting into jeopardy because of the gravitational pull of a new planet, even without Cybermen, I think that was so well done that would have been gripping. Hmm would the cybermen compare favorably in the 10th planet with what we see now well actually they did because i think cybermen look never more frightening than when you can actually see them as sort of semi-human and you can see they've been converted they're they're like you and i but without with all the emotions stripped away and augmented strength and everything and um i thought they were terrific i I love those scenes where they march across the snow relentlessly and karate chop the men trying to break into the, the soldiers trying to break into the TARDIS and then mm. they steal into the base unnoticed and pull off their Parkers and uh, uh, that's just terrific stuff it's, re- it's really classic stuff and that was a nice era although it was Hartnell's latter years that was a really nice era where they tried to give it a more contemporary feel with the the war machines and mm. and then um the tenth planet slightly in the future mm. Um, it has a nice grounded 60s feel so I I like those sort of stories and um, I thoroughly enjoyed it even the the animated episode 4 that was fantastic, Planet 55 did a terrific job with that Mm. it's a sign of a good story and a good animation job it it just segues nicely from the last existing episode episode 3 straight into that episode 4 and um, it held my attention all the way through to the end and I'm a huge Ben and Polly fan as well so it's lovely seeing them Ben got far more to do because unfortunately poor old William Hartner wasn't very well mm. at all by the time this was filmed so Ben got a lot more to do so we're lucky to be able to see that much of Ben and Polly in this mm. episode as well so uh, over to you Giles
0: Ooh, well, um, yes I really enjoyed going back to this and it was um, first time in a while first time since the DVD came out so I guess that was five years ago or to seven years ago now that's shocking it's interesting looking at it from this point of view because one thing that struck me was the Saturn men aren't in it much. No. <laughs> um, it's interesting that the, they're the catalyst. The, you know, the arrival of Mondas is the catalyst for everything that happens. But aside from the two incursions into the base in Episodes 2 and 4, really, you know, Episode 1 is, as you say, really focused on the, the astronauts and the, the space capsule. And then Episode 3 is really all about Cutler and... And his descent into yeah desperation and and stopping the stopping the z z bomb z bomb, mm. which is it's interesting because it's I think it's a clever construction from that point of view that it takes here's the basic concept and we're not just going to have four episodes of the Cybermen trying to break into the base, which considering this is the archetypal the the first base under siege mm. story really and it, it certainly points the way to a lot of you know. A lot of what we can expect in the Troughton era, with yes, with various isolated bases manned by <laughs> clichéd c- international crews, mm. <laughs> and um, a fair bit of sexism thrown in as well. Yeah. Polly making the tea and coffee. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But it's remarkable. You know, for the first of its kind, it's it's doing interesting. It doesn't just rely on that, and it does. It takes the basic core concept and says okay here's some interesting plots that that arises kind of mini adventures or mini stories that arise out of this basic conceit
2: yes it's funny what you said Giles it's absolutely spot on about the Cybermen not being it that much but the most brutal act in the whole story is when Cutler cops hold of Ben when Ben's trying to sabotage the Z-Bot and Cutler yanks poor old Ben Mm. backwards over a railing onto his head presumably on a steel floor and that was that was really mm. he didn't just pull a gun on him or something he just yanked him over and that was really brutal mm. poor old michael craze as well mm. he the the backstory was he he'd had an operation to remove a chip in his nose mm. and the operation nearly killed him because it burst a blood vessel oh God. and there he was on a set having to inhale you know artificial snow and do all those action scenes as well so uh, that was oh, particularly oh. admirable and I if that was a stuntman, stuntman, that was done really seamlessly. But oh. my God, that look, that made me wince when I watched it.
1: Mm. <laughs> mm. You were you were talking about the base under siege thing, and 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 how it's it sort of looks forward to Trout, and I think it also looks back to um, the Hartnell story, the Ark, because uh, you know in that story you've got the security kitchen, and here you've got the security <laughs> control room, and also the mm-hmm. se- security projection room. Yes. Um, <laughs> They don't seem to actually have any anywhere to put prisoners. But, yeah, it seems, seems slightly odd that they decide to stick their prisoners right in the middle of all the action. But, I mean, how convenient for, for what follows so we won't mm, uh, carp too much. Yes.
0: That projection made me uh, chuckle, yes. I'm going to have yeah. to
2: dig out the Target novel. I remember I loved the Target novel. That that was I mean, they're not exactly War and Peace, are they, Target novels, but that was one I devoured as soon as I, I bought it. And yeah. I seem to remember mm. the in the projection room that the film Ben watches is a James Bond film in the Target novel.
1: Oh, possibly. I'm going to oh, yeah, I'm Jerry, gonna have to dig that mm, out. Jerry Davis, isn't it?
0: Yeah. I was wondering what it was in the in this in the, what we actually see on the screen.
1: Mm. So I mean, so going back to your point, Giles, about how the Cybermen aren't often in it, I think um, you know one might make a a similar comment about last week's episode that in the end. The Cybermen don't do an awful lot, you know. They're a threat, and mm. they're a and, and they're a they're a constant threat, but they're a threat slightly off camera, and it's the same really in in, in this one. Mm. It's more it's more about what they could do than what they actually do do during the course of the mm. story.
0: Yes, yeah, that's a good point.
1: Interestingly, in this one, the Cybermen can't change anything. In fact, in fact, not only can the Cybermen not change anything. The Doctor can't change anything either. Mm. And in fact, it's another Chekhov's gun in that the Doctor says at the start of Episode 2, well, you know, it's going to keep drawing the energy until it explodes... Mm. And all, you know and essentially then all you have to do is wait until the end of episode 4 when it draws too much energy and mm. it explodes as he predicted back in episode 2 yes and and whatever the Cybermen do and whatever the doctor did and to some extent whatever the, the humans do is just kind of waiting for that t- mm. to happen now of course there's always the danger that particularly for the astronauts but but also I suppose for the people all around the world that there may not be long enough mm. before you know, terrible things before them, but but uh, yeah, thankfully, I guess mm. they managed to to do enough so that when when that moment arrives, you know, they're all still okay.
0: Mm. Well, that whole plot with setting up uh, with sabotaging the Z bomb, no, I think they they state that pretty much explicitly there that they they need to just stop it and wait for wait for nature to yes. take its course as the doctor has predicted.
1: Mm. Um, I mean, you mentioned the the two assaults on the base. I mean, in fact. There are there are four assaults on the base. So mm. there's 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 the the first time that they sneak in, mm. which sort of seems reasonable. The second time they they use the three weapons that they've got, the soldiers to fo- to fire off to mm. to fight off a bunch of maybe you know ten or twelve Cybermen. Mm. They seem to pick up at least six more weapons from the dead Cybermen lying there, mm. and yet a few minutes later. I don't know, three or four Cybermen seem to sneak into the base when nobody's watching. Mm. Because, But, I mean, I mean, admittedly, while Cutler's having a meltdown, and perhaps that's a good example of how a base falls apart when the command loses sight of what's important and starts going a bit mad. Mm. So, so, so maybe he hasn't set the necessary sentries up and, and, and they, that allows Cybermen to come in. But it, that's interesting. And then there's, there's a fourth time right at the very end with the fantastically labelled Cyberman, what's his name? Shav, apparently. <laughs> um, okay. Yes. So, yeah, so, so the Cybermen in this are with the first leader. Mm. The second leader's called Krang. There's another Cyberman called Jarl or Yal. The one in Geneva that's particularly sing-song is called Gurn, and this this last one that appears only to say, resistance is useless, and then blow up, is called Shav. Yeah, yeah.
0: No one called Clack. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: they, they stop having names after that, don't they? I think this is mm. the only one. Oh,
2: sounds like a new Kraftwerk um, track list. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, this is the first um, first time we get a... I'm trying to think what happens to the war machines, but I'm pretty sure this is the first time we get a global invasion storyline as well. Yes. Where we have the... you know, There's hundreds of ships landing all over the planet. Yeah, as represented by a cyberman walking into one room in <laughs> one room in Geneva um, <laughs> it's got its failings from a from a staging point of view as you know but you just have to take them off with the smooth but um hmm. but yes of course this is Derek Martinus directing yeah. this one and, and you can tell because it's quite d- d- dynamic I think compared to a lot of the stuff you know you have hmm. quite a bit of moving camera stuff that's going on and I think that's Especially, I sort of noticed it in the Geneva, the Geneva elements. They obviously had it set up, so they kind of trapped the camera around the around the set, mm. which is lucky because <laughs> the Geneva stuff is otherwise quite um silly and silly yes. at times. And like the staging of the Cybermen's first appearance is is brilliantly done. I think the the whole ambush on the mm. the crew trying to get into the TARDIS. I think.
1: I think when you've got a studio-bound 1960 show in black and white, mm. you can't do an awful lot more than than what they do with this. Mm. So yeah, uh, um, but but yes, you, you, you're mm. right in saying that it does sometimes show, and 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 the Geneva bit is is mm. a cipher for the rest of the world for sure. And and mm. the 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 space capsule works quite well because actually a cramped studio. Mm. Stands in quite well for a cramped space capsule, mm, yes. That's and true. Ev- you know, everyone knows what a what a um, space control thing should look like from from the NASA footage, so that mm. that works fine as well. And actually, the the filming um, outside the base, they've got a, a nice large stage on which that happens, so it does give the Cybermen a chance to sort of wander in from at least middle distance rather than the kind of terrible time flight scenario where you're almost bumping into the camera before you start moving towards it Mm,
0: yes yeah
2: the opening shots of the episode are really nice as well i mean they they just use stock footage of somewhere cold Mm. and snowing and yeah i mean you've sorry guys i probably boy tears all my quibbles each week about well if if the current series doctor can't convince me that they're really in the maldives or (laughs) <laughs> um, Hong Kong, then I'm not, you know, I'm not going to suspend disbelief for the rest of it. But Tenth Planet* is so effective that just use a bit of stock footage and the mm. acting and the story so good, you, you don't mind that it's studio bound yeah. and it, it creaks here and there. You you totally mm. sucked into it. It's like going to the theatre when the mm. acting and the production's so good, you, you you don't mind that it's just a stage. Oh yes, yeah. And it's it's and they they make the absolute most of it.
1: So what, so what you're saying, Simon, is would it have killed them to sh- to show a lemur from a wildlife documentary? <laughs> <laughs>
2: yes. It just uh, the, you, you touched on it as well with Cutler. I mean, it, it sets the mould for the base under siege, doesn't it? it? It has the it has the commander who gradually melts down and cracks under the pressure. But mm. to start with, he's very effective. He he sets up the tactics perfectly to beat off that that Cyberman attack using the weapons and mm. has all the sentries in the right place and then eventually yes. get through. You have the plucky number two, Barkley, who steps in to save the day and help yep. mm. save mm. the planet. Great. yes. He's really mm. good. And then you, you always have the cowardly... I can't remember the character's name, but there's the cowardly Weasley one who wants to surrender and Dyson, give in and Dyson, tells, in ben, case, yeah. Yeah, tells Ben not to take any chances. Hmm. You've got all that supporting cast, the the sentries, um I can't remember all the names, Tito and and the sergeant and so on. It's just mm. fantastic character element. Mm. So um, I, I just love the way it, it's put on like a theatre production. All those old Hartnells and and a lot of mm. the Troutlands as mm. well. And I've, that's why they stand the test of time. I think because they're so well produced mm. and put together.
1: I think Hartnell's quite good in episodes one and two as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, so, so you know, although he's a bit of a bystander, I mean, let's face it, when the last time we looked at the Crusade, he was a bit of a bystander in that too. But but he, you know, he he gets the opportunity to have scenes here and there, and he seems, you know, even right at the end of of, of his run here, he seems very much you know, the 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 full first Doctor package mm. in those two episodes. Mm. Yeah. Um I mean clearly you know, obviously he's not in the third one and by the time the fourth one comes along he's got ten minutes where again he he's 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 perfectly decent and then he kind of fades out of the of the storyline a bit.
0: Well it seems to be yeah, the the scenes in the control rooms as far as one can judge from the soundtrack alone, it's a real shame we don't have those because he appears to be fully injured at the moment, you know, once Cutler is gunned down he appears to be the one who steps up and takes charge and is yes fairly you know in fairly forceful forceful first doctor mode mm. so it is a shame that we don't have that to to see but yeah no it's a it's a great shame that it's episode three um yeah that he was ill for that week but um
1: Although, of course, it's by no means unusual for a doctor to disappear in this era mm. for a, for no, an episode. No. It, it, mm. it stands that it's no worse than, say, one of the episodes of *The Seeds of Death*, where you know Trouton goes, you know, uh, lies on a on a, a, mm. a trolley or something, yes, or yeah. Um, yeah, uh, where, where tr- mm. um, Hartley himself disappears for a couple of weeks in um, *Serial E*. Marinus, yes, the Marinus, of yes. course. Yeah. Uh yes,
0: although in this case you know, as I understand it it was it was much more short notice that, um, yeah. that Arnold more or less phoned in at the start of the week saying he wasn't re- he wasn't well enough to, to record. So they more or less had to, you know, do a hasty redivision of the lines. It's mm. just it's just more of a shame that we know the realities of making the show at this time. It's just a just a shame that he ha- happened to be um at s- such a pivotal moment that it yeah. robs us of one of his, you know, last Potential those performances, I guess. Sure, but agreed.
2: Because hmm. he's n- he's not even in, he's not even in the last surviving episode, is he? Episode three.
1: Hmm. I guess what what it what it perhaps tells the lie to. So so one might, um, if if you believe that the, the um, propaganda, you might believe that he became progressively more irascible as a person and, and harder to handle because he kind of not unreasonably felt like he knew what he was doing, Mm. and he was increasingly unwell and less able to learn the lines because of his arteriosclerosis. So, Mm. I mean, there's all that going on, and yet, you know, so the the myth would say, and his performance deteriorated. Well, in fact, that's not obvious to us in this. His performance seems entirely fine, Mm. even if it was harder work for everyone else around him, Mm. you know, in the making of it. And and then also there's this kind of weird notion that Moffat has in Twice Upon a Time that he's sta- going around doing kind of sexist things and being a, a bit of an embarrassment. And there's no evidence of it at all in The Tenth Planet. I mean, you know, the, the people making the sexist remarks are is everyone else. And, mm. and the, the First Doctor is not particularly feminist, but, you know, and, 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 and or helping Polly out in that scenario. But he's not he's not adding to the problem.
0: No, no. no. <laughs> I was going to say in terms of sexism, I think the director has some, some questions to answer in terms of that scene where Polly has to get on the bunk. <laughs> 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 that, that was really blimey. Hang on. And people complained about when Zoe flashed her knickers. <laughs>
2: mm. <laughs> when we talked about the Crusades, guys, we we talked about some lovely turns that Hartnell did. And right in the start of this story, mm. um, where Cutler's bawling them out, for being intruders on his beloved base, Hartnell comes up with that lovely line: um, "Can you can you speak up? I'm a bit deaf." With a sort of raised, arched <laughs> eyebrow, that was that was really lovely.
0: Mm. Yeah, good good guest cast in this. I mean, we we mentioned um, Barclay already. David Mead mm-hmm. I believe, is the actor. He's he's, right. he's he's just rather good. But then you've got two. Two big names, really. Robert, Robert Beatty was um, mm-hmm. was obviously a, a famous name, and then Earl Cameron as well, uh, who was right. you know, who was a big Earl Cameron was probably you know I was kind of looking at their respective credits. and thinking I mean, okay Robert Beatty. I guess he was a go- kind of go to. Although he was Canadian, I guess he was a go to actor for Americans on the British screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, in like low-budget British films and British TV, especially. I was listening on Radio 4 Extra a couple of months ago. They repeated in their in their vintage drama slot a um, series he did in about 1961 called Destination Fire. He played a fire inspector, sort of fire insurance investigator, which is quite fun. But I think his reputation possibly stems from the fact he, he reported on the Blitz for... So sort of he voiced over stuff that the BBC did for the American market right. in terms of <laughs> for sort of films that were sent to America about what what Britain was undergoing during the Blitz. But then El Cameron, you know, was quite quite the big star, really. You know, he he'd, he'd done um, he'd been in Goldfinger, um, I think the year before this, mm-hmm. and had um had really had a you know quite a reputation since I think Pool of London was his first. You know his breakout role, and that was like in the late forties, so it's nice it's 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 nice to see that um you know and it, it just passes without comment at all that the commanding astronaut happens to be happens to be black mm. and it's you know i think it's possibly given how without wishing to open a can of worms given how problematic some of the other <laughs> <laughs> some of the other parts in sixties doctor Who the, uh, that are available for black actors and so on or you know how problematic they are. Yeah. They can be seen. It's it's nice to you know, it's yeah, it's it's a it's a good strong role and it's um it's and it, it kind of passes without comment, it's just taken for granted. Yeah. This is the nineteen eighties, get with the program man. So Yeah, it's
1: good. Hmm.
0: We never saw that cyber hyp cyber hypno power thing where they can put a hand on people's heads and get them to collapse again, did we? I don't think.
1: Uh is there something in revenge? Yes, the the uh, that comes out of his head, doesn't it?
0: Yes. Ah, it quite yeah. Insane? Well, yeah, I guess similar enough. They shoot bolts out of their
2: fingertips sometimes, don't they? In um, in the moon base. I think in um, the mm. Wheel in Space as well, don't they? They hypnotise people. Hmm.
0: Yeah, mm. I suppose it's meant to be. I still you know, think related. I still think
2: that's the story where you see the Cybermen at their most evil, the Wheel in Space, because they're. They're pretty vicious in that. Again, commander mm. cracking under the stress.
0: Mm. Yes, it's interesting. Cutler's part. Sorry, this is a complete non sequitur. But yes, I mean Cutler, as as I think you said earlier, he's he's very efficient at first and uh, organises the the defence of the basins and, and the storming of the you know the taking out of the initial Cybermen. Mm. And then only really starts to crack once someone makes the unbelievably foolish operational decision that. The astronaut that they should send up is the guy that's is the son of the guy that's in charge of the polar base that's under siege. Um, mm. It's just like yes, I know we asked for volunteers and that's the excuse, but what? Mm. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting that the treatment of the Cybermen here. Just one one other thing I was going to say. It's interesting the way they are. They're not entirely unsympathetic because they haven't become the monsters that we well you know, well we just don't know what to make of them. Yeah. Really. They they seem to make fairly reasoned arguments mm. at times. And I, I quite I like the bit where Ben you know shoots one with the weapon yes. with the weapon and Ben you know is is quite cut up about it. You know, it's yeah yeah quite, you know, yeah. quite traumatised by it. And I, I also like that bit where they, when they have the the sort of the dialogue that's revealing what Mondas is up to about it, draining the energy and so on, and at the cyberleader is just, it's just mainly mainly concerned with cataloging, the yes. you know, cataloging the staff ages and you know the names and ages of the staff and keeps on yes. keeps on asking for Dyson's age, and yes, and uh, it's quite it's quite nice. It's,
1: it's, it's like a Mad Ma- Magnus Magnuson or something mm, at the yes. start of <laughs> yeah, of that era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, you, you, uh, I think you're right, I and mean, you know they 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 are clearly more um, a bunch of of people, but you know but 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 altered rather than a, a race of of robots, which they, you know, at their at, when they're handled less sensitively, they sometimes become
0: mm. often by the same
1: authors. It should be yeah.
0: it should be said.
1: <laughs> Indeed. Yes, yes, I mean, by, mm. by moon base, on, only what, a few months later, mm. there's hardly a discernible difference between them. They, they very much become ciphers, really, at mm. that point.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: Both these stories, I guess, are, are fairly obviously canon changes. Mm. You know, 10th tenth, tenth Planet suddenly provides regeneration as a possibility. And doesn't doesn't try to explain it at this point. You know, we, we're going to have to wait for *Power of the Daleks* to to go through, through that, mm. and then thus make the the series a bit broader and deeper. Yes. So yeah. so yes. Yeah, so, so Doctor Who's always changing. It, you know, mm. it, it it's exactly what it is until it isn't anymore. Mm. And and you know the 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 tenth planet is is another one of those when you know the the, the Doctor Who is a story about a. a an old guy and his companions until it isn't
0: mm. yeah nasty put. yeah so, which is the strength of the yeah you know, series, and the reason it's still going i guess fifty six years on fifty seven years
1: i've I, i've already i guess um, discussed the fact that that you've you've got a Chekhov's gun in both cases, and the doctor also is is not really the agent in either of these two stories either. You know, in both cases, the doctor is fairly helpless. In in Hartnell's case, he's he's in the control room, but he can't really do very much. In in, in Whittaker's case, she is, you know, literally paralysed for a large chunk of it. And then, when she isn't, she's not necessarily uh, able to do much. And when she does get the chance, I suppose, of agency right towards the end, you know, that that, that then becomes a plot point, and and and, and mm. she she does she does uh, pull back from it. But you know, for much of the episode. Um, she's in the same position um, that Hartnell is in the in the tenth planet. Mm, true, interesting point. And uh, I mean my last and 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 fatuous, I suppose, similarity is that in both cases you get unexpected survivals. I think I think everyone expected that one or more of the Doctor's companions was going to cop it in 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 uh, Timeless Children, and Terry Cutler appears to disappear off the radar in. Mm. Uh, in 10th oh, planet course, but, yes. but 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 amazingly both of them um t- uh, you know seem to survive intact mm. at the end
0: <laughs> yes good
1: point any outsider of you want to say about these two stories
2: no that was a lovely summation by richard it was just fascinating to see how from their first appearance to their latest the, the cybermen have evolved but they still offer that that same inhuman threat Again, the great shame, perhaps, with the Timeless Children was how easy the the lone Cyberman was killed off because he was probably the very latest evolution of the of the Cyberman. It would have been interesting to see how he, if that have allowed him to live longer into the episode, how he could have confronted the Master at the end. That that would have been a really good finale.
1: Hmm. I don't. I, you know, I don't think very. When you think about the Cybermen and how logical they are, they always seem to off them in the end in a, in a rather basic way you know i mean it, you know, in the 10th planet it's inevitable in the moon base well it's another chekhov's gun it's a gravitron mm. it, 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 there's gold you know they they seem to have a remarkable number of basic weaknesses yes. radiation <laughs> um you know so they so they've they've eliminated all the weaknesses except the ones that, the, that they need to have for uh, plot purposes mm. yeah
0: Yes, it's a bit of a shame with the time as Children, as you were saying, Simon. But I guess it's the I guess it's the trade off of really the Cybermen sort of function most of them function as foot soldiers for hmm. a spokesperson. And and in that case, you know, it was a fairly straightforward exchange of the, the lone cyberman being eliminated and the master taking over as that spokesperson. So then the Cybermen really faded into the background, except as a potential fate for the Gallifreans and an unstoppable army for the Master to, to wield, which is fair enough for the purposes of that plot, but it possibly does the Cybermen a bit of a disservice, and the lone Cybermen in particular, mm. who I think would have been... Yeah, might have might have had more to say, but it is what it is, and I think, I think generally it hung together pretty well.
1: There's a great Cyberman story out there somewhere... And um, you know, <laughs> and one, one day we'll have
0: it on tally. <laughs> well, it's funny that yeah, they are the archetypal monsters that yeah that seem to. And we were talking about Villa Deodati, but we say, what well, is this? The best society men have ever been, actually, and the most mm. the most um, consistently thought through mm. you know, story involving them.
1: Mm. And, hmm okay well look thanks for to both of you for your your thoughts on on both of those stories and on the conclusion to series 12 and and that look, brief look ahead to what might lie um beyond for, for the for the doctor Ooh. so and thanks to all of our listeners for bearing through what's probably a relatively long episode we having now come to the end of of um, series 12 have the opportunity to now to, to, to pick and choose some stories to look at i mean certainly we're going to be interested in the faceless ones that's coming out as an animation Ooh. in the next few weeks <laughs> we're still threatening to take a, a, an interest in the recent colorization of Master Plan* episode two and and, and I'm expecting that to feature in one of our uh, upcoming episodes, but yeah, we've, we we won't be coming to you probably quite as frequently as we have over the last few weeks. But we still plan to come over the next few months with with a variety of stories from the deep past and the and the not so distant past. And you know, I, I think our format will continue to, to 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 bring entertainment and a little bit of interest um, along the way. So thanks, Simon, and thanks, uh, Giles, and uh, we'll, we look forward to being with you again sometime soon. Yep, amen to that. Thank you both.
0: Absolutely. Look forward to doing the next one, but it's going to be nice to uh, yeah have a little bit of time to regroup first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah, a treadmill. Yes, yeah. and thanks, everyone, for listening and uh, yeah helping us build our numbers.
1: <laughs> Cheers.
0: I do like the fact that the um, one one silly little production point in Tet the Planet* that I didn't mention, and then I thought I'll save it for this bit at the end where you stick, we stick out taste on It's the fact that the international television news, basically, <laughs> they appear to be a top top quality operation because you can <laughs> tell from the fact that they've just stuck up a um, stuck up an A4 <laughs> piece of paper with international television news printed on it behind the um, on the set. No, no, it's been spared mm-hmm. there.
1: <laughs> Who knows? I mean, maybe, maybe it was a bit like that in the sixties, or oh, sorry, the eighties. <laughs>